Hi everyone, we are UK Motor Talk. I'm Mike, hello. I'm Jim, hello. I've just realised I'd stopped recording for some reason, so I rescued that in time, didn't I? And I'm Graham, and I am recording, I think, and have been for a while. I mean, is that just a general statement? You've been recording for a while, as in many years? or Yeah, it feels like sure. about the last 85 years. <laughs> some of those as you, you have at work, you go, oh, have you been here long? And you go, oh, yeah, yes, it might be. However many years it is, that's just today, let Forever. alone anything else. That's some sort of stress dream. Anyway, are you all keeping well? Uh, yes, better than you. What have we worked out you've got this week? Consumption, we've decided. Oh. Or I've decided. You've got most yes. of the symptoms, haven't you? So I'm going I'm to get something remarkably Victorian and wafe myself away. Well, so if, if you're going to work your way through the diseases, work your way through the classics, why not? It's, <laughs> it's a good series of diseases in Victorian times, I think. There's a lot to, uh, a lot to explore there. You should consult with Mr Dickens. He's very good on. Uh, Victorian diseases of the poor, etc. And um, I'm sure it'll come up with something which is very rare these days. Did you just call Mike poor? Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounded awfully did, like you, you did. <laughs> yeah. I've told well, you, so you've got I, Dickens pox. <laughs> diseases of the uh, of the riffraff and peasantry. There we are. Read this. Yes. Catch I'm, I'm very sorry. You've got Bronte of the anus. <laughs> <laughs> Viles disease. That's what you should aim for next, I think. That's that's a good old school disease, isn't it? Viles you disease hang, is... hang around with a load of rats. It is apparently on the rise, so I was reading the other day, as is blue tongue disease, but nobody's noticed yet whether it goes across to uh, human beings, although there are certain politicians that perhaps do have it. <laughs> as a random thing, I thought there's been a load of green sludge bubbling up through the drains of New York. Have you seen this? No. This was in the papers. So, I know. Exactly what I was thinking. It's the teenage... It is the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Teenage Mutant Hero Turtles, depending when, of course, you watched it. Apparently, it's just something they use for finding leaks or something. I don't know, but it's all started bubbling out of drains and people wonder what else is going on. Maybe... Maybe Ghostbusters or... It's all those crocodiles down there doing their laundry. (laughs) (laughs) There's been some cracking ghost-related movie cars, haven't there, really? Got the Mystery Machine, obviously, which, to my mind, should just be a VW camper and nothing else. Ecto-1, which is, well, crazy. They've restored that long ago, actually, because it got to a bit of a state. I saw one of those recently on the M25s. Did you? Somebody had done a, a complete copy of. Very effective. That's amazing. I did. I did see it at a petrol station. There was a picture of someone who posted up. And it was the mystery machine with Ecto one behind it. So how bad must things be if we have to call both of them at once? I just feel like <laughs> that they all turn up. Oh, I like the idea of that. And then of course there's a few few DeLoreans. I was say flying around, but not quite literally. As much as as much as that would be brilliant. There's one that uh, there's a, a relatively local shop to us called uh, Retro by Ronnie, which I think we might mention before. But if you're into your stuff from the the 70s, 80s, 90s. It's, has some really cracking toys and memorabilia bits and pieces in there. It is just a millennial to middle-aged plus toy shop, uh, I think. <laughs> and there's stuff in there that the kids enjoy as well. But it, is, it is a fantastic shop. But they have cosplayers turn up, but also have a DeLorean turn up relatively regularly that's all been time machine converted. There's so many brilliant cars that throughout the years I've, I've really burned to own, particularly as a kid. I remember absolutely just wanting, wanting and wanting a remote-controlled toy DeLorean or a night rider. I've managed to achieve both these dreams. That's good to have achievable dreams, isn't it? Whilst I'm on that subject, I'm interested to know, <laughs> favourite TV or movie car? Oh, movie, I think it's got to be probably 
one of the Bond Aston Martins. Ooh. Would you go classic DB5 or would you go modern? Yeah, no, DB5, I think. I have driven the mm. Bond Vanquish. Have you? Yep. I drove a pre-production one straight out of the factory. Long wow. time ago. Old pal of mine was then the Aston Martin test driver. Cool. And did you use so the guns or? No, no, it hadn't been converted, but it was the one that was going off to Eon, isn't it? The uh, film company. That's pretty cool. Jim? Mm, one of two, really. I think from my from my sort of youth, it's. I know it's a little bit trashy, but just for what it was, Paul Walker's Skyline from Fast and Furious, just because yeah, it's cool. quite iconic. Yes. Uh, but actually, I think probably the... Uh, what is it, the M23D, the McLaren from Rush, James Hunt's McLaren. That's technically a movie car, so I can I go cheating, for that one? Surely, if, if we're allowed one each, I'll go for that one then. That's that's cheating a bit. Interesting you went for the Skyline. Uh, it's the a Supra. film, it's a car. Yeah, See, I, I was I was a big fan of the Skyline. It's definitely, it, it wasn't just a car that inspired a generation, it's a car that inspired a whole cult, didn't it, really, of cars that, that came after. I remember, I must have been sort of first year of college, last year of school, I suppose, around the sort of time that, that Fast and Furious came out. And suddenly they were everywhere, weren't they? There was a, you know, your silver course with the blue stripes over the top and, and, and the rest of it, you know, there were so many. For, funny enough, Furious I now own a, a blue car with a silver stripe over the top. So actually, yeah, maybe there's maybe there's a bit more to it than that. Maybe there's a, <laughs> there's the influence, but it's, uh, yeah, I think it was the, uh, yeah, college short time for me when they first came out but mm-hmm. i finally got around to watching uh i had an evening to myself the missus and the kids were out the uh they were away the other night so i had uh yeah house to myself and i watched fast and furious uh which one did i watch number nine i think so this is I've you know I, I had to watch i had to watch a recap uh before of one to eight because i'd kind of forgotten what happened and it's you know every time and they kick the action up a notch and they drive out of a building and they kick the action up a notch and they <laughs> have a car on a crane and in this one you know i find myself just watching i think i've never said as if quite so much you know i'll sit there and watch spider-man or superman and be quite happy with everything that's going on perfectly believable it's fine you watch anything fast and furious and the number of times you watch it and go as if it's like you know there's a bridge collapsing and he just happens to time it right so a bit of the bridge collapsing gets caught in the wheel arch of the car and catapults him across the ravine <laughs> and all this sort of stuff and then when when they end up in space in a pontiac fiero wearing diving suits but actually it's quite enjoyable it's quite easy watching you don't have to concentrate too hard and it's and it's all quite good fun but um i don't know how many more i've i've got to watch i know there's a the hobson 27 Shorts spin-offs, at least but there's 10 10 or 11 i think so yeah i've got some more to watch yet we should then talk about favorite car chases because you're already in car chase territory and I have to say mine is a bit retro because it's still bullet. But I never really fancied the Mustang. I always wanted the Dodge. Unquestionably, for me, my favourite car chase is The Italian Job. This is my favourite movie of all time, 1969. It's an absolute classic. Yep, 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 I'll go with that. And it's what made me fall in love with minis, unquestionably. Watching that as a small kid. And my, my eldest has been so into it since the age of about three. And we get home and he goes, Daddy, let's watch Escaping Minis. And he just wants to watch the last 10 minutes or so that's been cut together at the end of the original Italian job. And occasionally of the newer ones. And then they did the Britalian job for the Olympics and all the rest of these. He absolutely loves it. But the, that for me is, is my favourite. And probably, although I would really 
I'd love to have a DeLorean. That's probably my favourite movie car, really. The Italian job, you need to have three, don't you? You, if you? you couldn't just have one. You could just have a red Mini. You'd have to have a red, white and a blue one and then get your mates to drive them everywhere with you. <laughs> I don't know. I quite like for the uh, for the charm of it or the, the suaveness and the um, sort of low physical effort, maybe the... Uh, the BMW 750 from uh, which one is it? Tomorrow Never Dies. Brosnan, mm-hmm. so he's doing the whole yeah. thing on uh, with uh, with remote control on his Nokia. It's just very of the time and and quite daft yeah. and silly, yeah. um, but also really actually quite believable. It is now. Well, it's a hundred percent believable because it's well, it's a radio controlled car, isn't it? We all had them yeah. as kids. They've been around for donkeys years, so you just make it bigger. And now you could realistically remote control any car that has. I don't know, some control over its own steering and braking system and bits and pieces. So if it's got radar-guided cruise control and, and cameras all around, and it can steer itself like your car, then you could have a little bit of a tinker with it and, and you, yeah, could, you, you could, could remote control it. When you said BMW 750, I thought you might have gone Transporter, actually. And I, I was just trying to remember if it was a 750 in the original Transporter film. Yeah, it was, and there's some good chases in that. Anyway, we should probably move on to other things that have been happening because you saw something that went through the auction that tickled your pickle, didn't you, Graham? Uh, well, I did indeed. I mean, it's a, a well-acknowledged fact by now that I'm a Ferrari fan, particularly of the expensive ones, way, way beyond my tastes and uh, dreams, etc. But um, I was intrigued this morning by uh, the auction that took place yesterday. We talked about this some weeks ago, and the expectation was that it would reach $60 million. In fact, it finished off at about $44 million. I think it was just under 57 with the uh, fees and premium and so on and so on. Bargain. That's a hell of a jump, isn't it? If you'd have to be quick on the calculator to work that out, although I'd imagine you're probably not looking at your uh, at your eyes and saying, right, I've got $42 million in there and not a penny more, and that's it. There's There's probably a buffer, isn't there? I was intrigued by the fact that the bidding opened at $34 million. How many oh, auctions can you think of where, where immediately you've gone into sort of stratospheric money? But, uh, you know, it was, uh, all the American papers, uh, I saw the headlines earlier this morning, were saying uh, most expensive Ferrari ever, and it isn't. The previous one, I think, fetched $40 million in 2018. That was also Sotheby's. They seem to be cornering the market. But this one had different engines in it because it was a Ferrari team race car and raced at Le Mans uh, with uh, Bendini driving, that actually sort of seemed to slightly devalue it, the fact that it had been tinkered with it, even by the factory, and it didn't have the original engine in it and so on and so on. But it is far from the the most expensive car ever, which I think we also talked about recently, which was the all-in-out Mercedes, which was... uh, sold by private treaty and i if i remember rightly the figure on that was something like 147 million wow you're teasing us now though graham you have to tell us what this ferrari is it's a 250 gto stroke 330 lmb so at at various times depending on what um, classes they wanted to race it in it had alternative engines so you know i mean i've seen both uh, at goodwood i've been fortunate enough to be in a 250 gto not to drive it, it wouldn't allow me that. But I have been in one, and that's the only one I have been in. But, you know, there's only 36 of these things. And um, if you want one, you have to put your name down a long way in advance. And I think the the dearest one so far 
is reputed to have sold for $70 million as a private treaty. Wow. There you go. There are people out there that have this sort of money. Apparently, the buyer was sitting in the audience, actually in the audience bidding, which is so rare these days. Previous owner, one of America's leading manufacturers of radar equipment. So it was certainly on his radar. If you're spending a few million, of course, you probably want to just check and make sure there's no pug in the back arch. Just take a magnet with you and uh, <laughs> check under the bonnet, make sure it's not smoking from the back, as you do at a car auction. And if you're a peasant with consumption like me, probably an old Ford is more up your Straza. Although that said, you'd said you'd seen a few that softened in price, a few big money cars that went over the weekend. RS2000 that was well in the hundreds of thousands, well, hundreds and, and a bit of thousands, 128 plus the fees, and a uh, an, an RS200 that went for £486,000 over the weekend as part of the NEC Classic. I'm not surprised by the RS200. There's so few of those. About, I think there's even less of those than there are the Ferraris. Uh, how, many, how many did they build, road and race cars? A couple hundred. Did they? Yeah. Oh, because was it it homologation special? They were effectively a factory-built kit car in many respects. This an incredible piece of um, of engineering. And I can hear Ford fans just absolutely shouting at me and saying, no, it's not that, it's this. But fundamentally, they they were built, the shells were cast by Reliant for Ford. They weren't built uh, by Reliant as such. It's just an exceptional piece of engineering. It's too much to cover in, in, in in a sentence, perhaps something we should talk about another another time but available with two or four wheel drive of course um and we're, we're tested by some of the ford execs for some time i know that that one particular exec had one that was supposed to go back and for whatever reason he just kept forgetting to return it for quite some period of time uh but definitely definitely a different time a part of obviously the all conquering all powerful rally cars uh for which of course the series was was banned due to uh due to the fact it got a bit too silly and and unfortunately, yep. people got seriously injured and, and killed along the way. So it was a, a different time, I guess, the, the sort of the super touring era of rally, really, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. Uh, they were spectacular cars, all, all of those. I mentioned homologation there. I just back briefly to the 250 GTO. The 250 GTO, they were supposed to make 50 of them. And they homologated them on the basis that apparently, while the uh, FIA were watching the front door, they had been driven out of the front door round the block and in through the back door and going round again. And that's how Enzo Ferrari got to his homologation with 36 out of 50. <laughs> that's the way to do it. Uh, allegedly. Allegedly. The RS200, they made just under 150, in fact, 148 of them, and about eight of them disappeared, about 140 of them remained. So that's worldwide. A very, very rare beast. You're unlikely to uh, to rock up at a party and someone else has got one. But you also have to be... <laughs> Uh, relatively keen to, to to still drive one of those, I think, as a uh, as a proposition as a car these days. But fantastic really kit, nevertheless. Yeah, definitely something that we should cover in podcasts to come. Now, I might have mentioned to some of you before that I have a Ford Orion. Have you? I also might have mentioned before that this year is forty years of the Orion. Well, actually, you have most of a Ford Orion. I you do. have a Ford Orion in kit form. It's like a Ford Orion jigsaw puzzle at the moment, isn't it? It is. Yeah, it's 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 mostly back together. I'm just waiting for people to to make things so they can uh, deliver them to me, and then have it. I can get the thing back together again. So, who knows? Hopefully, beginning of next year, it'll be back on the road just in time for its 41st anniversary, um, which is that important milestone that everyone wanted it ready for. But this week in the Telegraph, the Ford Orion, particularly interesting, I think for me anyway. 
let's say it's 40 years of the car, because the headline said, Ford Orion, the car Ford sold on its conventionality. They basically sold it because it was in no way particularly interesting compared to anything else, they're saying. People weren't necessarily already for the hatchback. We watched a training video the other day for um, Ford Sierra amongst ourselves, and this was an early hatchback. And for some reason, everyone was punctuating it like that. I'm not quite sure why. Um, so if you remember what it was like when the hatchback came out, you'll have to let us know if that's what they did. It does make more sense if you break it down like that. It's like because it's a hatch on the back of it. Hatchback. Yeah, it, it does just sound better. But I think you compare that to a, to modern manufacturer training and one manufacturer training in particular is I, I miss the days of just whack on a VHS and watch that and have a laugh and have done with it. It's a much, much simpler time. If you watch the video, yeah, so watch the video. Right, fine, off you go. You're ready to sell. That's it, you know. Well, the, I think, what, what do we see? Um, I saw this week as well. There was an advert in a, uh, in a local paper for a motor trade job, you know, preferences. He must be a gentleman, must be married, preferably with two children. And they, they got into all these specifics on it and just thought, what a day and age. This, this advert wasn't that old. It was, you know, sort of in, in our lifetimes kind of thing. You thought, what an old-fashioned way of looking at it. But, yeah, try doing that nowadays. Yeah, definitely. I think we, we've got a, a handbook somewhere or another. It was it was The Good Dealer or something. And it was, uh, there's a chapter there. It was there a service manager for service managementizing or something like that. That's right. It? Yeah, and, and if you're having a bit of a day, stoke up the old briar. And just sit there and have a couple of puffs. It's, it's one of those, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely love it. Um, but yeah, sold, sold its conventionality um, because it was a booted car. Uh, and I just I just like the fact that that's what they went with as, as the the title. Not the fact they tried to make it a bit more executive, a bit more upmarket, just because it was just the same as everything that had been before. So if you weren't ready for a newfangled hatchback, you got to have yourself a saloon still. Graham, you found something on your car this week. My good lady was driving earlier this afternoon and uh, phoned me up in a slight panic and said, I've got a big light come up on the dashboard saying, hold. And it's not one that I've seen before. And believe me, I've driven an awful lot of cars, but I've not seen that particular message. And I wondered if anybody else had ever experienced hold. Or is it because it's a Japanese import that um, it's a sort of failure in translation somewhere? Uh, yes, I have had that. I, I don't know if it's the same for your car, but when you're sat in traffic on a car that has electric handbrakes and bits and pieces, and you put your foot on the foot brake to the floor and then release it, it just keeps the car on position so you don't disappear off in an auto or manual or whatever, you don't go rolling off back down the hill. Uh, but I don't know if your car has electric handbrake or, or that feature even. No, no, it's far too old well, for I, that. I dare say it's probably, if it's got ABS, then it's clever enough, you know, the, the, it uses the ABS module and trickery that can apply or reduce brake pressure. That's that's how it does it, isn't it? So you can... Yeah. Uh, I think was it the the drift mode or the the drift stick joystick whatever they called it on the RS when you programmed mm. it in, it was just simply programmed into the the ABS module to just bang full brake pressure to the rear discs and pads and and that was it. Actually, it wouldn't put it past me for some old random Japanese thing that's got ABS to have that built into it. Is this on the Bongo uh, Friendly? It, it, it is on the Bongo Friendly. It turned out to be something uh, completely different. Like the W position on a lot of automatic boxes over, over many, many years. W? The winter position. What? Hold, hold the phone. What? What is the W? It has a yeah, winter, winter position. winter mode. That's an old... Um, that's a Volvo thing in particular. 
Indeed so, and that's where I'm familiar with it uh, from. But, it, I mean, it's, you know, it's been common over many, many years. Uh, but, it, but it is effectively that. There's a button on the side of the, of the shifter, which is a big T-handle shifter, which if you strike it unintentionally, it locks you into lower gears for bad weather driving. Right. So, uh, but then comes up with a hold message, which, as I say, I've not seen before. But effectively, it's 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 like a winter position. Well, I've I've found myself in many positions over the years, but never a winter one. <laughs> I have to say, it does have a bed in it, so maybe there is a connection. I saw a poster actually uh, over the last week, which I sent to you, Jim, and this was shogging uh, every night. It's every Thursday night at ten p.m. This is for people with EVs, uh, and the idea is that you can both charge and do dogging at the same time because it takes a while to charge up your EV, so you might as well do something productive with your time. And presumably, because it's an EV, you can leave the climate running. You don't have to worry about damaging the environment. Uh. Makes sense. And on that note, in fact, there is one EV I want to talk about, and that is the new Volvo EX30. And I think it's probably worth mentioning this thing because, A, it's a Volvo, and we've got to the sort of age where Volvos have become desperately attractive to all of us now. It's not a Volvo estate, though, is it? It's a Volvo it's SUV thing, which well, looks identical to two other EV things that we'd sent out. We were looking at three pictures of three little SUV electric things, and you couldn't tell the three of them apart. If you took the badges off, you couldn't tell which one was which. Is this the one that looks a little bit inside, like the old Mercedes Vito? The sort of five or seven so. seat? executive no. sort of oh no that's yeah. that's the that's the uh the 90 the new one not 99 i think it is i can't remember which one it is anyway the, the big one that's coming ah, um the, the, one that's no, just, the one that's just about 10 meters shortly. long that's the one yeah, yeah. so i, I could yeah. have discounted it on the, on the, the basically it was like some sort of barge that thing but this is this is a an ev that i think people will actually buy in big numbers so the ex30 is i guess some sort of puma sized thing really so for puma sort of size and they say it's an SUV, but it's not really. It's a bit too low. And it's quite a cool looking job with Thor's hammer headlamps. It's got the typical Volvo tail lamps. But what's particularly interesting about this, apart from the fact that you can customise it quite a lot and have different interiors and recycled plastics and that kind of stuff, it's going to start, or it has already started, at about 32 grand. So this is a Volvo, so a desirable badge on the front of your car, very sharply styled thing, that's the same money as a sort of mid series. MG4. Suddenly that becomes quite an interesting proposition when you think that a lot of the other mainstream manufacturers are going to be another 10 grand on top of that probably or closer mm. to 40 grand mm. at least. So would you go out and buy an ID3 which is literally okay I think it has one of the worst new car interiors I've seen for a very long time or would you be interested in having a look at the Volvo? Because Volvos are the last 10 years probably have got particularly interesting but the last five years have become quite desirable really sharply styled beautifully made cars i would give it more than a second look if i was looking to replace our family car tomorrow i think it's probably one of the first things that i would try that sort of money yeah i don't know how uh, how big and practical for a family i suppose it depends what what sort of stage your family are at is because it's mm. it's not really much of a bigger boot than a fiesta is it i think the the shape of all mm. the the dimensions of the boot are probably more important because with these things depending on if you got a pram or a buggy or whatever it is as long as you can fit it sideways and it doesn't take up the entire boot pretty much in one go then most of the time you're okay but yeah not a huge boot not a huge fruit either so it's only just a little bit bigger than a puma isn't it smaller than a cougar size or kia whatever the kia weaving but whatever it is, the latest one they've announced, is is a little bit smaller than that, isn't it? So they all look the same on paper, but I think one is a 
a seven eighths replica of the other one, isn't it? But for uh, for most people, you know, if, if your kids are out of buggies and out of prams and whatever else, so you know, sort of three, four. If your kids are three up to, I suppose, twelve, thirteen, then you're probably okay with it. Is this Volvo pushing themselves a little bit down the market or into a, a, a new market area for them, if you like, a wider? demographic than perhaps has been the case previously you know they've they've made small cars before but they've not necessarily been very good some of the small cars they've made before this one does look much better yeah and i think at the money that it is you think the average car price it's difficult to say that something's cheap these days because no new car is really cheap this is by comparison to a lot of others reasonably priced so if you start about the thirty-two thousand mark you can get you know, the smallest, the smallest motor, the smallest battery capacity. I think it's two sixty-eight brake horsepower, sixty-nine kilowatt hour battery. So it's going to be you know a reasonably sensible car. And then moving up from there, you can go for a really fast one if you want. So if you want the fastest EX thirty, it's not to sixty times three point four seconds, which is just insane. And you can spend a reasonable chunk. So the ultra versions forty-two which is probably going to be the starting price of something like the Ford Explorer. It's going to be around that sort of money. So when you see, think that that's sort of a high series version, that seems like, comparatively speaking, a reasonable buy. And so I'm being very cautious with my words here, because like I say, this isn't a cheap car, but compared to a lot of other EVs, it's good value, especially when you consider that the alternative at this sort of price point, really, most of the alternatives that where this starts are going to be new entrants, Chinese manufacturers, the likes of MG. Now, we say this, obviously, Volvo is part of the Geely umbrella. It is. So, yeah, there, there is that to consider. But let's face it, most people will recognise a Volvo badge, and if not necessarily a, a, a non-boxy Volvo. It's a car that anyone that knows what a car is probably knows what a Volvo is or has a rough idea. And it looks really sharp. It's an odd sort of position to take, isn't it? Because if you say it's always priced at the... The cheaper end, and as you say, all oh, thirty something thousand pounds is a, a barrow full of cash, isn't it? So it seems odd to say that that's the uh, the lower end of the market. But mm. it's if if you can price it at the new entrance stage, but with somebody of the brand heritage and pedigree of Volvo, as you say, anyone who knows what cars is knows what a Volvo is. You know, ignore the ownership because that could change tomorrow or some chairs change hands or most people don't know and, quite frankly, don't care. You know, the MG brand has almost had to reinvent itself and come back again, whereas Volvo's never gone away. It's never had that absence from UK roads Mm. over the years. Numbers may have gone up and may have gone down, but I think that's it's quite canny, to be fair, to, to price it at, oh, actually, if you're looking around and a Volvo and an MG at the same price, well, what would you rather have? The Volvo. Yeah, no contest, exactly. that's, it? that's it. So it's, 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 a good, it's a good strategy. If it's profitable mm-hmm. for them and if it pays off, I'm assuming that at 30-odd something, it is profitable. I don't know, would you sell cars at a loss? You know, There's plenty well, of car manufacturers who are losing money on EVs, in inverted commas, but the main reason for losing money on EVs is because they've spent a gajillion pounds on R&D and infrastructure and sold 12. It's not necessarily a you know a unit loss on each car in terms of what did it cost us to build it, what do we sell it for. There's mm-hmm. all the other costs that have gone into it, so those will get absorbed and, and go away eventually. But yeah, 30-something seems, uh, seems keen. It does, and for what I see as a, as a premium badge... For non-premium money, that's a very sensible price because it is just the price of the average family SUV. 
And I suspect probably what Volvo mm. will do is you'll turn up and go, we can have this one, which does 214 miles. Or for a little bit more, you can have this one, which does this. A little bit more, you can have this one. You can have the ultra version. It's going to cost you this much more per month. And there will be that, what they, what they call it, payment walk, I suppose. And when you go from one bit to the next bit to the next bit, and it's just a little bit more for the next one, just a little bit more for the next one. And um, yeah, I think it's this time next year, I'm just trying to think where the deliveries start, but I think it won't be too long nevertheless before they become quite a ubiquitous site on our on our roads because at that sort of money, at that sort of style, it's it's uh, un- un- unquestionably there's going to be a few foibles, particularly because everything is controlled by a touchscreen. Almost everything is controlled by a touchscreen. But nevertheless, I suspect, assuming that it's not an absolute disaster when it arrives and the early reviews look good, I think that will do incredibly well. I think we're going to see it everywhere. When is it due out? That's a good question. So you can order them now. And let me have a quick look and see when the first deliveries are due. First cars will be in the UK in the first quarter of 24. So you'll have one January, February, March next year. So that's that's really quick and that's good. Because actually, to be fair, for most brand new cars, if you order one from the factory now, it's going to be early next year anyway, because we are now in mid-November. So yep. actually, that's that's perfect. Can I buy one now? Yes, good. Okay, we'll build it in a few weeks. You'll have it early next year. It looks good. Like I say, small, small boot, but I think for... Um, for most people, I think that we do actually need to head back towards probably slightly smaller cars, let's be honest, because everything is SUV, everything's got a bit big and a bit lumpy and a bit heavy, and cars probably weigh twice as much as they need to. You know, we use double the amount of metals we need to over the last few years, probably. The thing is about boots and, and, and such, and boot sizes, they always quote them in litres. I've never loaded a liquid anything into the boot of my car. It always comes in a box or in a thing. So if you've yes. got a big square hole where stuff goes in, that's fine. You can do that. If you've got a, a tiny little entrance where you can only post things into it, I'm thinking, I don't know, Tesla, for example. It's, it's just not or as a letterbox. Late 50s, early 60s, I remember seeing that there was a sort of standard set of suitcases, which motor and auto car and so on, uh, they had a common set, uh, and they would attempt to load as many of those in as possible, which is a far more real world than giving you a literage, which, how the hell do they work that out? Do they just seal it all up and then fill it up with the liquid? I think, no, I'd imagine they, they put a, a balloon in and pump it up and measure the amount of air that goes into it, I would have thought. I have no idea. If you know, tell us. We are at UK Motor Talk everywhere tell us how how you do it we would be interested in knowing hopefully you're interested in knowing too it wouldn't be a uk mt podcast without mentioning a few things with it apart from the ford ryan we must of course mention formula one and we're off to viva las Las vegas Vegas. here we go yeah i've I've got i've got really mixed emotions about this uh this race heading into it because it's uh, i think it has the the potential to be i mean what what matters for me i think is the race and what's the race like because i'm not going there i can't afford it i'm never going to go there i haven't been invited i'm not a multi-millionaire rapper cryptocurrency inventor somebody that gets interviewed by Martin Brundle on the grid and I've never heard of them or what they do. It's, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not like that. So the, the actual, neither was he in the cost of a ticket. Well, yeah, this is true. The, uh, the cost of, um, you know, the tickets has been well, uh, well banded about as being ridiculous. 
I think there's been some very unfair things put on local businesses like Formula One or Liberty Media or the promoter in general have gone along to local businesses and said, right, you're a restaurant, you're overlooking the track, so give us $1,500 per seat per day for what? Well, because you'll have a view of the track. Okay, it's nothing to do with me. Okay, fine. And they erect, you know, grandstands and barriers and concrete things outside. So it blocks the view of the track. I mean, to me, that's that's really, really not on. I can't imagine the Raskas putting up with that kind of thing. And it's almost, you know, the minute the practice session's finished, the man who runs the Raskas puts his tables back out, mutters something about bloody racing cars driving around, smoking a fag and gets on with running his bar because that's what he does. So I think there's there's been a huge amount of... Um, cat going on but again presumably there's been some uh, some business interruption payments in the background or whatever else for it if nothing else it's bringing a huge influx of people to the area so in theory they'll uh, the local businesses and hotels and things will benefit from it in the meantime but i don't know the track looks the the scenery outside it is at least interesting for a street circuit so i'm sure it'll be very pretty to look at and there's the big sphere thunder mm-hmm. Dome advertising payers for gajillion pounds because we can pump adverts directly into people's retinas or whatever it's doing in the middle of it. <laughs> yes. And the, uh, although the track just looks like spider pig to me, looks like an upside down pig. So it's uh, it's spider pig crawling across the roof in uh, in the Simpsons movie. <laughs> uh, but I think it's going to be cold. It's going to be freezing because funny enough, it's in the middle of a desert and deserts get cold in the middle of winter, in the middle of the night. So it's a, uh, yeah, sort of... Two, three, four, five degrees has, has been banded around. Lando Norris had said he was going to get some heated gloves for when he was driving the car so his fingers don't get cold because they, uh, you know, you get a bit of a breeze on your fingers in a in an open cockpit racing car. So it's a, uh, yeah, it could make a uh, could make tire warm up and things like that interesting. You know, especially as they were supposed to be not particularly having tyre warmers, I think, this year, or the maximum temperature's been wound down this year. So I think it's, uh, yeah, it could, uh, could be interesting for that. But the proof of the pudding is in the eating. You know, we, we could have the most spectacular, action-packed race, and it'll be an absolute brilliant one, and, and it'll be very nice for everyone, because, you know, a bit like Monaco, it's, you know, to go to Monaco for a Grand Prix is not within the reach of, let's say, normal people or normal incomes. You know, you've got to be rather well healed to go to Monaco for a, a weekend for the Grand Prix if Vegas ends up being the same. But I think most people still like to watch the Monaco Grand Prix. So it's, yeah, we, we shall see. It, it could be spectacular, the racing. It could be cack, the racing. We'll, uh, we'll reserve judgment. But hey, if nothing else, it's something new. It's something interesting. It's something exciting. So. Yeah, let's see what happens. I'm looking forward to it. I think it's gonna it's gonna look pretty, isn't it? It's it's going to be, as you say, a, a pretty race to look at. Monaco, yes, I like the idea of watching on television. I like the idea of driving around the circuit when the roads are open. I, I less like the idea of going over there during a race weekend and enduring the, the the cost of everything. The idea that you've got liberty taking liberties with people's view is outrageous. I think I don't know. It sounds remarkably cliche. To say that it's it's it always goes against the ethos of of sport, doesn't it? Really, it's it's very unsporting. Mm. I tell you what, I bet Bernie's eating his heart out that he didn't make it work all those years ago when he tried it. That was literally in a car park, though, wasn't it? I saw a, a scale map of the new Las Vegas circuit 
with where the old Las Vegas circuit was. And, you know, the old Las Vegas circuit was, hold on, lads, I've got a good idea. Let's set up a little track in this car park here. And it was the sort of thing you'd have put together with your mates and a load of traffic cones. You know, it's, yeah, it's, it's the Gilbourne Centre car park of a Saturday night. I think Bernie had uh, grander plans and wanted to use the uh, the fabled strip as part of the circuit, but it was just not to be at that time. Ah, actually, Bernie could probably afford a ticket, so if he wanted to go, he could probably <laughs> afford one. He'll probably be but there f- know, yeah, free if, of charge. If I click here, Las Vegas uh, Grand Prix tickets apparently start at $105. It's not silly money. Let's go with the proper website and go to uh, to the F1 website. One day Thursday tickets from $187, a Friday ticket $470, a Saturday Ooh. ticket $1,200. If you want a Thursday, Friday, Saturday ticket, because the time zone, you are, it's a Saturday for the, uh, for the actual race. So a three-day ticket is $1,900. If you want hospitality for $1,900 for a three-day ticket. In. Yes, general admission. If you want uh, hospitality for Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, that is from seven and a half thousand dollars. It's a lot of money for a burger and a coke, isn't it? Uh, well, no, you get your food included. So if you have a lot of burgers and a lot of coke, then um, then you want that. But I think I want more than Coca Cola included for uh, for that price. I mean, given the history of Las Vegas and referring back to uh, one of my favourite films, The Godfather, it is a little surprised know uh, that uh, people are being ripped off by that particular town. Mm. Ah, I've worked out what the $105 is for. That's for the opening ceremony. Wow. <laughs> so there's no, no actual track action whatsoever. So there's a top tip from us. If you decide you want to go to see F1 in Las Vegas, go over there, win a lot of money, then buy a ticket. Don't buy a ticket before you've won the money in Las Vegas because otherwise you just won't be able to afford to go, probably. Certainly if you're a peasant like me. And on that note, it is time for us to end. Now, we're going to be taking a short break, so we'll be seeing you in the new year. But until then, we hope you have a lovely Christmas, a lovely new year, and we'll see you when we've done other things in the new year. Until then, goodbye. Goodbye for now. Take care. Well, as we've just returned from Las Vegas, I think uh, we should say, as the Americans do, happy holidays. (laughs) (laughs) Said with such conviction there. See you all. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production. Well, that was the end, yes, because we've got one minute and 57 left and it's gone nine o'clock. You said you wanted to stop at nine o'clock.